Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, halfway between California and Hawaii, a pile of trash twice the size of Texas sits stewing, making our waters toxic. Greenpeace says this patch of plastics which then breaks down into microplastics that contribute to climate change, gets bigger by the minute. But sadly, you've already heard this story, or one of hundreds of environmental horror stories like it, paired with debilitating data signaling legitimate threats to our planet, and messages like the one Jim Ski issued recently at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. He co-authored the panel's annual report and told us, It is now or never to limit global warming. Sounds like we're deciding never. <laughs> the UN Secretary General paints a really grim picture saying, quote, We are on a fast track to climate disaster. Despite the evidence, many of us aren't compelled to action. And some of us even deny the existence of a crisis altogether. If climate change poses a real threat to our lives, why aren't more of us compelled to combat it? This week on Connect the Dots, we investigate the psychological mechanisms behind our inaction, along with ways that we might overcome the denial and cognitive dissonance surrounding environmental issues to give a better future a fighting chance. We're joined by psychology and environmental studies professor, Susan Clayton, who co-authored a major study on the subject with the American Psychological Association and by Kate Melgis, an oceans campaigner at Greenpeace USA who works to end the flow of plastic pollution. I'm Sydney Fishman, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey. For years, Susan Clayton has been researching how climate change induces anxiety and a sense of what she calls debilitating worry. She's even developed scales to measure the impact of climate change on an individual's anxiety. Research into this topic has really increased in certainly the past 10 years and I think accelerating in the past three to five. One way to think about it is to think about the different kinds of impacts that climate change has on essentially the the world and how that might affect our mental health. So we know that climate change is leading to Uh, an increase in extreme weather events, major storms, wildfires, things like that. And I think it's not surprising to know that those things have an impact on mental health. You tend to see increases in 
things like anxiety and depression, post-traumatic stress disorder after those extreme events. I think much less obvious or salient to people is the idea that the slower changes in climate, especially rising temperatures, can also affect mental health. So we know that high temperatures are associated with increased suicide rates, for example, and with increased psychiatric hospitalization. And the, the mechanisms, the reasons for that are still being explored, but it, there's some pretty substantial data there. Um, and then a third kind of mechanism that you might be thinking about is just the, the anxiety and stress associated with thinking about climate change. And although that's you know not by itself going to lead you to have a mental health problem, it is a, a source of stress that can uh, contribute to the threat to your mental health. The 2022 IPCC report revealed that despite the efforts of climate activists, disruption caused by climate change impacts the lives of billions of people globally, and that the people and ecosystems with the least amount of resources to manage these disruptions are being impacted the most. And while the report states we could have emissions by 2033 to improve the outlook of climate change, some will likely continue to ignore the issue. Are there any more like psychological mechanisms behind this besides denial or is it mainly just denial? There's definitely other mechanisms. Um, as I say, sometimes and people just don't know, they don't understand. So it's a difficult topic to deal with uh, kind of just in terms of how we make sense of it. Even the best climate scientists can't tell you exactly what's going to happen and exactly when it's going to happen. There are, of course, very complicated models that are being uh, used to make predictions. So this may just feel to people like, well, we don't really know, so why worry about it? We also see quite a lot of political polarization, especially in the United States, and that's also can affect the way people respond to climate change. In a 2021 study, the Pew Research Center said not many Republicans or Republican-leaning supporters expressed deep concern about addressing climate change. There's a lot of research that shows that which political party you belong to is a very important predictor of what you believe to be true about climate change. And surprisingly, it's even more important than how, how much education you have. So uh, people's, people want to kind of endorse the attitude or the perspective that's associated with the political party they belong to. And we've seen this in a very unfortunate way because historically, no one political party has um, owns environmental issues. And there have been a lot of positive environmental policies enacted by Republican administrations. But you definitely see people deliberately choosing to make it a political issue in some cases these days. Nearly a decade ago, Clayton wrote a piece for Psychology Today referencing a hypothetical psychological tipping point at which the world might actually start to take climate change seriously, regardless of their politics. We asked if she thinks that tipping point exists now. I don't think there is a psychological tipping point. I think it's more an example of you know, many of us have heard the uh, the myth about the frog in the boiling water, that if you heat the water up very gradually, the, the frog doesn't notice that it's getting hot until it's boiled to death. And I, I feel like that's the way we are with climate change, that 
it's it's kind of worse every year, but nobody, there's no single point at which people say, okay, well, we've come too far now, um, which would which would be the tipping point. And while many of us do care and acknowledge climate change, we aren't actively thinking about it in our everyday lives. What's the psychology behind this phenomenon? And there are several reasons for that. One of them, of course, is our emotional protective tendencies. So we don't want to think about depressing topics. We have a very impressive ability to engage in denial and just not think about things that are scary or depressing. And that's part of it. I think a large part is also that, in a sense, we are programmed to focus more on current events than contemplation of the future. And when you think about it, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, people didn't have to worry about the future that much because they didn't live that long. So we tend to focus on um, the more immediate decisions we have to make. And um, when it comes to climate change, I think most people don't see an immediate action to take and they just think, well, somebody will, will figure something out. And then a, th a third thing that's going on, which I think is, is really important, is that we just, we kind of operate on autopilot. We do what we've always done. We look to see what other people are doing, and they're more or less doing what they've always done. So we have other things to think about besides climate change, other more immediate goals, and we let those continue to kind of direct our lives without taking the time to think, but wait, if this climate change is really happening, you know, maybe I should do something differently. Kate Melgis has worked as an oceans campaigner for Greenpeace for more than 10 years. The organization, founded about 50 years ago, does not accept any funds from corporations or governments. So we really can speak truth to power. We have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. At Greenpeace, Melgis is no stranger to action paralysis. I mean, I myself get overwhelmed and I absolutely have seen people that's such big, big things that we're talking about and that we're dealing with and up against every day. It is really hard to not get overwhelmed and especially over the last, you know, two years with the pandemic and just has really put things into perspective. There's so much going on, um, but, you know, try to show people that like what they, their voice matters. And there's a lot of ways that they can contribute aside from just um, from lifestyle changes, you know, pushing on corporations, talking to your elected officials, like there's a lot that people can do and it's not going to require all of us to do everything, but all of us, a lot of us to do a lot of little things, but there there's hope and looking at the younger generation, the kids that are coming up today, how inspiring they are and how motivated they are to act because their future's on the line. That is what, what gives me hope. Recent natural disasters have increased interest in the population's commitment to climate change efforts, especially Hurricane Ida, which slammed the south and east coasts of the U.S. last year. Disasters like these make the impact of climate change painfully obvious, especially when people are harmed and even die from them. I think with a lot of the, the recent natural disasters and as we're starting to see more extreme weather, climate events, like the, the deep freezing temperatures in, in Texas, the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, you know, last summer, um, the increase in hurricanes. I think people are starting to, to see climate 
climate change in action. They're starting to see the effects that the warming of the planet is having. Apart from natural disasters, geopolitical events have drawn our attention to the use of oil and plastics. In response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, America stopped importing oil from Russia. White House spokesperson Jen Psaki recently remarked that the ongoing war supports the U.S. efforts to extract more fossil fuels from out of the ground and in our own country. And according to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the COVID-19 pandemic led to an increase in plastic use, largely fueled by the demand for single-use plastics. Plastic is made from fossil fuels. Most plastic comes from oil and gas. We know that, you know, Russia is a large oil producing country. Oil is always tied to some really, you know, just not, not great, great things. I think there's, there's a bit of a connection I think, with, with COVID. You know, we weren't sure, like, how does it spread? What happens? Like, where could we get COVID from? And there was a lot of science around single use and disposable kind of being the way to go to protect ourselves from the virus. And we did some some research and found that the plastics industry was actually using some misleading science to help bolster profits and like increase plastic usage. We saw a lot of, you know, supermarkets and retail stores roll back um, and cities and states roll back their plastic bag bans during the pandemic. There was just a lot of fear how and when you could contract the virus um, and really saw some industries kind of take advantage of that. Another legitimate reason people may feel overwhelmed when attempting to take action against climate change is that the most necessary changes must come by large industries and institutions. There's only so much we can do as individuals. Yes, we can stop. We can, you know, limit our usage of cars. We can limit, you know, bring our own water bottle someplace to to fill it up. But that, and that does make a difference. But at the end of the day, we need huge systematic change. And that is going to take from, you know, companies and governments completely changing the way that we get our energy, the way that goods are delivered and packaged to, to people around the world, the way, you know, transportation is. How corporations impact the environment today has roots in a long history of colonialism and what scientist Paul Dreesen has dubbed environmental colonialism. Colonialism refers to how various European nations explored, settled, and exploited large parts of the world beginning in the late 1400s. Environmental colonialism specifically refers to the way colonists exploited native lands. Examples of the impact of colonization on the environment include the introduction of invasive species and diseases, environmental hazards that have largely impacted black and brown communities who often have less resources to defend themselves against environmental degradation. The term colonialism made it into the IPCC report on climate change for the first time this year. Climate change and colonialism, they're rooted in exploitation and degradation of the of the environment. You know, we are constantly as societies looking for ways to like consume, 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 using our natural resources in a way that are not sustainable. Um, you know, they're not going to be around forever. And so I think that's very much, you know, looking at the Industrial Revolution and, you know, when carbon emissions really started to skyrocket as society has kind of 
I don't know if evolved is the right word, but, you know, kind of like gone on over the last, you know, couple of, of centuries, we've really done a number on the environment and the planet and just mining and drilling for oil and burning gas, burning fossil fuels, like trying to mine the, the ocean floor, you know, commercial fishing, overfishing. Susan Clayton explained how colonialism continues to influence corporate behavior around corporate climate change activism. Yeah, I'll, I'll interpret colonialism you know, very broadly as the sense that by, by the developed world, the mostly the Western world, that they can take whatever they want from the, the developing countries and kind of impose their own ways of life on them. And I think even now we can still see this, interestingly enough, some of the ways in which we try to address climate change. We might say, well, we need to plant you know, a million trees and planting a million trees is a good thing, but some of these programs might involve planting the trees abroad in developing countries in ways that maybe the people who live there are not sufficiently consulted about what kind of trees or where should the trees be. Though Clayton didn't reference the company directly, online retail giant Amazon announced this month that it would plant at least 1 million trees in an effort to mitigate its significant carbon emissions. Melges said Coca-Cola also recently took a step towards being more environmentally responsible this year by establishing a reusable packaging target. Unfortunately, they don't have plans or any commitment to reduce the amount of single-use plastics. Melges said these corporate moves to address climate change are necessary to improve our planet's outlook moving forward. For our plastics work, we are calling on consumer goods companies, retailers, the big brands, so like Coke, Pepsi, Nestle, Unilever, you know, Kroger, Target, Walmart, all of those companies to phase out single-use plastic packaging, get rid of it, um, and very quickly move towards system of reuse and refill and packaging free, free options, um, move away from recycling as the solution. Recycling is definitely part of the solution. And so we really need to see companies just transform the way that they are, are doing business and stop focusing on false solutions. We need to, to stop plastic pollution at the, the source. I think about if you came home and your faucet was running and it was just leaking all over your house, your sink is just, you know, exploding water everywhere. You wouldn't immediately go and get a mop and just start cleaning up the floor as the water is coming out of the faucet. You would turn off the faucet and then start to deal with cleaning up all the water from everywhere. When thinking about climate change, it often feels dire and sometimes even too big to handle. But the average person can do simple things to manipulate the behavior of large institutions. Mel just thinks more people are beginning to understand the scope of the climate crisis. Ten years ago, I think folks are really starting to realize it's not a partisan issue. It's a global issue. It's an issue that everyone is going to experience. We already are experiencing it. We are you know, on a trajectory that is not looking amazing unless we take some drastic measures like pretty soon and hopeful that we will be able to do that soon. But the only way, you know, we're going to be able to do that is if people speak up and contact their elected officials, contact companies and really start demanding, demanding change. And that hope lies not just in thinking everything will turn out okay, because I think that's sort of blind optimism, which is different. 
but hope that's based on the idea that there are possibilities, um, there are potential things that each of us can do. And um, there are a lot of people who are working on this issue. And I, I find to me, that's a really powerful source of resilience is thinking about all the other people who are trying to make a difference. Um, so even if on any given day or any given week or even in a month or a year, we don't get done what we had hoped to do. I still have hope because I know those people are continuing to work on it and that you know I can be part of that initiative. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by me, Sydney Fishman, Lauren Berry, and Dempsey Pallott, with editing by Cooper Mall and additional editing, mixing, and mastering by executive producer Mallory Somera. Subscribe to Connect the Dots and listen to past episodes by heading to the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. From KCBS Radio in San Francisco, I'm Sydney Fishman. Thanks for listening. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.